You know, the Bible talks about how that the word is the bread. The reason it's referred to as bread, the bread of life, is because we need it for our spiritual sustenance. The Word of God is bread. The Spirit of God is what? Water. Two things you must have in order to survive is bread and water. Spiritually, you have to have the Word, bread. But without just, or with just bread and without water, you cannot survive. You have to have the Spirit of God. That's why we talk about how that it's good for you to get the Word, but it's not going to do you a bit of good unless that Word is in you. You've got to swallow it and get it inside of you so that you can have the Word in you. The same with the Spirit. You can feel the Spirit on the outside, but the Lord says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. I don't just want to have an experience where bread is around me. I don't want to come to a table and see a table set and not have the privilege to eat. I don't want him to put a cup of water in front of me after I've been going through 120 degree uh, heat in Arizona through the middle of July and say, you can't have that. Now, I'm hungry tonight, spiritually. Amen. But I'm also thirsty for God to reveal to me uh, His Spirit. You may be seated tonight. It's good to see everybody. Amen. And we want all of our visitors to say, I want to say welcome for being here. And I do look forward to meeting you after the service. Uh, a lot of great things that are happening for POP. We have met with the bank, a Zoom meeting, and we're trying to find out what the logistics will be for us to uh, hopefully make an offer on the LA Fitness just a mile away from here. So I'm asking you all to just continue to pray for that. But with that being said, we're meeting with the bank, so we're asking you to continue to be faithful in your giving because the bank looks at all of this and we need to be faithful so that, that we can make this happen. Amen? Amen. Uh, so we're excited about that. I want to talk to you for a little while on this subject, somewhere between. Everybody say somewhere between. I don't know if you know this, but in some states, harvesting rainwater is against the law. In fact, a rural organ man was sentenced to 30 days in jail and over $1,500 in fines because he had three reservoirs on his property to collect and use rainwater. According to Oregon water laws, all water is not publicly owned. I guess the government owns the water. They own the clouds, they own the sky, they own the sea, they own everything, it seems like. Therefore, anyone who wants to store or 
any type of water on their property, they must first obtain a permit from the state water management. Harrington said he applied for three permits to legally house reservoirs from storm and snow water runoff on his property. One of the reservoirs had been on his property for 37 years, he said. Though the state water resources department initially approved his permit in 2003, the state and the state court ultimately reversed the decision. Harrington said, they issued me my permits. I had my permits in my hand and they retracted them arbitrarily. They took them back and said, no, you cannot have them. So he says he's been fighting ever since to try to get the approval of being able to store rainwater on his property. I don't know how that works. I don't understand it at all because it seems to me like God owns it. And from the clouds to you, I don't know how they can take possession of it. The state simply says it's not yours. But this is also true with the enemy. God wants us to have the blessings that he intends for us to receive. And he wants to bestow them upon us. But the devil wants you to believe it doesn't belong to you. Many times he has convinced us that we're not good enough to have what God is offering. And that it doesn't belong to us. And it seems like somewhere between the clouds and the earth, the government says to Harrington, it doesn't belong to you. Somewhere between the clouds and the ground, it doesn't belong to you. And I believe that's exactly what the enemy would like to cause us to believe, that from God to us, somewhere between, we lose possession of those things. This is probably, in my opinion, one of the greatest threats to the church is because so many times we believe that we're insignificant and we don't matter and I have gone too far and there's no possible way God could love me or care for me. But I want you to understand that there's nowhere you could ever go that God is not there to meet you and to bring you back so that you can enjoy the blessings that he has designed and desired to bestow up on you. Just because the devil says he owns it doesn't mean that is true. Just because the devil says he has more power than God, that doesn't mean it is true. Just because the world is in chaos and what we're seeing has definitely had an effect on all of us as Christians, let me just tell you that be careful that you don't believe the lie of all the chaos 
that you keep your faith and your trust in God because God is still on the throne. God is still working miracles today. God is wanting us to realize that everything is under his control and there's nothing the enemy can do to take away from us what God intends for us to receive. In Numbers, the 21st chapter, and the first verse, it says, And when King Arad, the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies. Now, I want to pause for a moment and tell you that Canaan was a place that God had promised the children of Israel. But it was possessed by the enemy. The enemy had possession of it. And it said that when Israel had come, Israel is a type of the church. Okay, let me get this where you understand. Canaan is a type of the promise that God has given to us, which would be called heaven. But the devil would like for us to believe that he is the one that controls heaven. Not you. Or even not, more importantly, God. And he's wanting also the children of Israel to realize that, listen, you've got to trust that when God gives you an answer, fulfill the promise of God's answer rather than allowing yourself to fall short in your own mind and believe that it is impossible. It says which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel, Israel had come by the way of the spies. Then he fought against Israel and he took some of them prisoners. Now, I want you to get this real quick. Took from them their freedom. Just because he took their freedom away did not mean they wasn't the children of God. Listen to me very carefully because sometimes God allows these kind of things to happen to prove to them that he is still God. And I could go into story after story of where even Joseph was sold into Egypt, but yet God was proving his plan through his incarceration. Sometimes God is allowing some things to unfold because he's getting ready to step on the scene and show the world that he is God. And there's nothing the world, there's not a government, there's not a people, there's not any evil spirit that can stand in the way from God's plan. And while now he took some of them prisoner, this was his first attack. This is where... You and I cannot allow ourselves to be defeated. We need to realize even when we don't have the privileges that we think we deserve, that we still trust in our God. Even when we don't feel like we're getting what is due us, we need to keep trusting in God. When the outcome is not what you want it to be, you still need to keep trusting in God. Even when all hell seems to be breaking loose, we keep trusting in God. Why? Because God is still on the throne, and to the faithful we understand, and to the righteous we understand that God is still God is, come on somebody, God is still in control. All power is in the hand of God. And there's no power outside of God to which he has not given. Amen. Because it's so easy 
for us to lose our faith and feel defeated when our freedoms are being taken away. Now, I'm not referring to even a political uh, perspective. I'm talking about just things in life that seem to get us down. And the devil knows exactly how to make you feel like when you are in trouble that you are wrong. But that's not always the case. Or that you are bad. That is not always the case. Sometimes you are going through what you're going through, not for what you've done wrong, but what you are doing right. And if you have any questions, need you need to talk to Job about that one. He wasn't going through all that he had went through, losing his family, losing his cattle, losing his land, losing his health. None of that happened because he was doing anything wrong. It was because of what he was doing right. Are you hearing me? We've got to come to a place where we're trusting in our God no matter what and not lose our faith somewhere between. is where we need to go to God and say, okay, Lord, I don't understand why I'm where I'm at. I feel like I'm, it's closing in on me. I feel like there's an attack on me. I feel like I don't have the freedoms I used to have. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've come to church on Wednesdays and then come to church on Sundays and you feel like you can't break out and worship like you once used to do. And you don't feel the freedom, the liberties that in the spirit that you had previously and in the past few months, you just feel like if you're just locked down. This is not where you quit. You need to go to God. You need to go to God and say, God, what is my counterattack on these things? I'm not going to just sit there and let the devil beat me up. And I'm not going to just sit around and allow the enemy to get in my head and tell me this is my uh, lot in life and this is where, this is my destiny and this is how it's going to happen. No, I'm going to go to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, give me a plan. I've got to have a plan to attack. Yeah. But in order to go before the Lord, it's going to require some commitment on your part. That's why it says in the second verse, and Israel vowed a vow. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, if thou will indeed deliver this people unto my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. Leave that scripture there for a moment because I want you to get this. Because they vowed a vow. They made a covenant with God. While they were incarcerated. And the ones that wasn't said, we're going to make a vow and have a vow with God and make a covenant with God. So that those that are in prison, that we on their behalf will make this vow too. God, if you'll give us this, we can deliver these people that are incarcerated. They vowed a vow. They're prisoners. And they were simply saying, God, I'll make a covenant with you. What is this covenant stuff that we talk about? Well, it's really simple. In the church, if, if, if we are asking God to give us the victory, and that we're going to utterly destroy the enemy that has been attacking us, then we need to say that, Lord, if you're going to completely remove this from my life, I will make a vow 
that I'm going to turn away from these things. And no longer allow the things of my past to keep controlling my future. I need to make a vow. I need to make a vow. And God was showing them that if you make a commitment, God will show up and he will fight your battles with you. Not just for you, but with you. Because a lot of times we say, God, I need you to show up and fight this. No, God wants you to have some skin in the game. He wants you to understand that you've got to put your elbow grease into this thing and say, okay, Lord, I'm not going to just put there, you out there by yourself. I'm right here with you. And if we're going to do, we shall do this thing together. Hallelujah. Someone shout hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to make a vow. I am going to come in covenant with God. I'm going to tell you why I'm doing it. Because I know he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And if he can do that, then I can do it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to stand right eyeball to eyeball and point my finger right at the devil face to face and let him know there is nothing you can do. There is absolutely no power that you have that I shall not defeat you because I know that if God is with me, I shall defeat you. Who can be against me when I have God? How do I get this God? In the vow that I make with him. And the covenant I have with him. Amen. If you give me victory, I will completely remove these things that are in my life that don't belong there. Lord, if you give us this, uh, we'll make this vow. If you'll give us the people, we will utterly destroy them. We won't just take a few of them. We'll utterly destroy them. We'll come in here and we will take the promise that you have given to us. You want that promise? I will tell you. There's some things you're going to have to quit doing. There's some things in your life you're going to have to stop doing. There's some things in your life you're going to have to put asunder. There's things in your life you're going to say, Lord, I am not going to go back to those things any longer. It got quiet on me for some reason. But how many times do people make a covenant with God and they go back on their promise? I like this scripture. It says in Hebrews 10, 23, it says, let us hold, let us hold, let us hold. What? Hold fast the profession of our faith. Hold on to your faith. Why, why, why? He says, hold on to the profession of profession of your faith without wavering for he he'll keep his promise he's telling Israel I'll keep my promise I'll allow you to utterly destroy them and that's the covenant I'll keep my promise and I can promise you that if anybody breaks a promise it'll be us not God So when he says, let us hold fast, that means that you need to hold on. Keep on going. Don't quit. Don't give up. You might have some hard days, but you get back up and you go at it again. You might feel defeated, but you get back up and you go at it again. And there are times when you feel like it's closing in on you. Get back down on your knees and say, Lord, how can I handle this? How can I overcome it? And I know it's not all about prayer, but I'm going to tell you, when your pastor don't have the answer, he has the answer. When the church don't have the answer, he still has the answer. When your family and your friends can't come to your rescue, when at 3 o'clock in the morning and you don't have anybody to talk to, I'll guarantee you God will not turn his face away from you. He will listen to you when you speak. Amen. His ear is not heavy that he cannot hear, nor is his arm short that he cannot touch. And when no one else can, God can. 
I said, God can. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Keep that covenant because God is saying, I will give you your desire. Notice, though, in the Scripture, it doesn't say their desire was to have a new home. It didn't say a new car. It didn't say they wanted camels, and it didn't say they wanted land. What they said is they wanted to deliver their brothers and their sisters. That was their desire. And God says, now I've got some people that have a desire that is of mine. The same desire God had, the people had. He's not going to just be a prosperity God to come and give you anything you want. He's going to be a God that says, I want to know if you've got my heart. Do you love the things I love? Do you hate the things I hate? And so he was, he was making a covenant with them. And the reason why he could make a covenant with them is because they wanted, they wanted their brothers and they wanted their sisters. They wanted Israel saved. I think God can't turn away a prayer like that. When you get down on your knees and you say, God, I need you to touch my mama. I need you to bless my daddy. I want my family to be saved. I want them to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I want them to be dunked in that tank and that new baptismal we have. God, I, I want them saved. God says, okay, you make a covenant with me. What do I got to do? Then you need to straighten up yourself so you can be a good example for them so that when we see them saved, you vow, hold the profession of you vow a vow. You hold the profession of your faith without wavering. Why? Because he is faithful. Hallelujah. Let's go back to Numbers, the 21st chapter, and third verse. So it says, And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel, and he delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them. And destroyed them and their cities, and he called the name of the place Hormah. The Lord hearkened. Why did the Lord hearken to their cry? Well, first of all, he made a vow with them. Number two, he saw their sincerity. This is something that we as a church... Uh, strive for, and that is that, that we're not in this for entertainment. You know, I, I've, I've had more people come to this church and say, you know, I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. I got to meet the first lady of the church. And the first time, they even do a re re review on Google about it. I couldn't believe it. Some people said, I've got to meet the pastor. That was great. I had some ministers come up and talk to me. I can't believe how friendly that church was when we walked up. There was people greeting us at the door, and they making us feel at home, and they were so friendly. But when you're not sincere, I've been to churches where the pastor is so far up here that nobody can talk to him. Amen. Where, where it makes people feel like they're less than what... The ministry is. That's not sincerity, folks. That's entertainment. That's fulfilling the pride and the lust and the desire of a human being to make them feel like they're good and they're better and, and you're less than they are. And it's a very condescending spirit. 
It's a self-absorbed spirit. It's a spirit of pride. It's a spirit, well, I'm better than you are. And I've even been around some pastors that say, oh, I never sin. You're a liar. In fact, you just making that statement causes you to be a sinner. You just lied. You say you never sinned, but you just did right there. Yeah, rut row. So, so we have to have sincerity. You know, this is not Brother Wilson's church. This is not my church. This is God's church. We're just laborers in the field with you. We're not any better than you are. We're not any greater than you are. We're just all on the same road. We're, I might be in a different lane, but we're still going the same direction, aren't we? Amen. And, and it says that the Lord hearkened. Why? Because, number one, they made a vow. Number two, they were sincere about that vow. They kept it. So at this point, his trust for them, God's trust for them, God's trust for them, God's trust for them is why God gave them their desire. So now, everything's good. Everything's great. Children of Israel on the mountaintop, everybody's doing fine. There was no obstacles between God and Israel and promise. So he removes every excuse that they could possibly have as to why they were losing their faith. So when they ran out of battles to fight, when they ran out of problems to face, when they ran out of issues that were happening in, in, the, in the wilderness, now it says in the fourth verse, and they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Not a battle. Not a problem. There was no Red Seas. There, the Amalekites weren't on them. There was no but he's starving because there was no food. And then they went to their knees and God gave them manna. There was, there was no opposition. It was just they got tired. Somewhere along the way, they became discouraged. They had food. They had water. They had shoes on their feet. They had victory over Herod and the Canaanites. And, and, and they were discouraged because of the way. Discouraged over nothing. This is the most dangerous discouragement you can have is when you're just discouraged. Because nobody can help you. What's the problem? I don't know. Well, let's pray about it. Well, what are we going to pray about if you don't even know what to pray about? There was nothing between them and God. They were just discouraged. They were discouraged because of the road. Maybe it wasn't as nice as they thought thought it should be and they're, they're just not happy they, they don't know why it's it's just life they're, they're tired they're tired they're tired it's the kind of people that that have excuses for everything the reason why they can never succeed is because it's just it's it's too tough 
Life is just too hard. The problem was, the reason why they were discouraged by the way is because they still had Egypt in their heart. It was easier to live in Egypt than to live for God and have faith in God. It was easier because all they had to do was work hard and they put food on their table. Egypt would, and Egypt would take care of them. But God said, why would you want to be comfortable in a land that doesn't belong to you? When I've got Canaan, a place that floweth with milk and honey, a great prosperity. Why would you? I'll tell you why some wanted Egypt more than they wanted Canaan is because you got to work for Canaan. You got to work at it every day. Because anything, anytime you have anything nice, someone's going to come along and try to take it. And trust me, anytime God wants to give you a blessing, be careful that he don't intercept it between, somewhere between. Because the devil knows if he can keep you from believing that you deserve Canaan, then you'll quit fighting for it. But sometimes you've got to fight for your marriages. Sometimes you've got to fight for your children. Sometimes you've got to fight for your faith. Sometimes you got to fight. You got to fight. You got to fight. What am I talking about? I'm not talking about physical fighting, but somewhere we got to march out on our knees on the battlefield and let the devil know that God is still in control and that we are trusting in him at every level of our lives. Amen. I don't want Egypt in my life. I don't want to get comfortable and think that the world has what I I need and and whatever it offers me that I'm content with. Amen. It may have, it may have a, a joy for a season or fun for a season, or, but it doesn't give you anything that's substantial. Don't let your fans, don't let the world define who you are. You need to know who you are based on the biblical definition and keeping the Bible in context to who you are. Don't let people make an interpretation or create an interpretation of what they think you should be. You should trust in your God and live for him for yourself without outside influences telling what you should or should not be or what you should or should not do. If you're going to live for God, live for God on your own. Make it what you have between him and you and you and him only. Because if you're not careful, preachers can get in the way. And if you're not careful, churches can get in the way. And if you're not careful, family and friends can get in the way. But if you keep your faith and your trust in God, when your family fails you, when the preacher fails you, when your friends fail you, God will never fail you. If you've got your faith in him instead of in people, you will trust in God no matter what. And you will not lose your faith just because the journey is too long. Amen. Are you hearing me? They were discouraged because of the road. Not sure why. They were discouraged because they were just just not happy. Nothing good happening now. Don't know why, just life. We're tired. Egypt's still in us. We're used to being fed. And the world will feed you, trust me. Yeah. And the problem is they couldn't accept the process that God was trying to bring them to and through the process to a new life 
because they were losing their faith somewhere between. They had courage to fight for food. They had courage to fight for freedom. They had courage to fight alongside God. They had the courage to fight for the laws of the Old Testament. They had the courage to fight against their enemy. And they had water. They had water that was already running through the tributaries but couldn't fight for what was going on in their heads. They fight for so many different things, but they got something stuck lodged between their ears that they couldn't get out of their head. And that's when they became discouraged. Somewhere between heaven and Israel, they lost their faith. Somewhere between God and their covenant, they lost their hope. Somewhere between Har and um, Edom, they lost their way. There was absolutely nothing between these places that would be obstructing their path other than what they had between their ears. Just as Harrington was trying to store water on his property, the enemy wants to come and say, it don't belong to you. It don't belong to you. It don't belong to you. And sometimes we don't ever uh, get the opportunity to mature our faith in God because we allow the enemy to come in and take before we ever get it stored up in our spirit. From a cloud to the ground. There is nothing obstructing the rain. The rain is going to fall. The rain is going to fall. The rain is going to fall. And the devil will try to penalize you because you have things that are coming from God directly to you and he wants you to pay the price. And you might have to pay the price. But that doesn't keep you from receiving what God has for you. Hmm. That's why James 5, 7 says this. Be patient. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Be patient. Don't get discouraged because it's not happening as quickly as you want it to happen. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receiveth the earthly and latter rain. Be patient. Be patient. When he's referring to the latter rain, he's referring to the end time, the latter rain. I don't believe the latter rain has already taken place. I believe we're getting ready to see a move of God like we've never seen before. And the rain is in typology of the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit starts coming, it's going to rain down on this earth unlike we have ever seen before. The latter rain. But he says to the church, be patient. Don't get ahead of God. Don't quit on him now. Don't step out of the church now. Don't stop now. Don't get discouraged now, Israel. Come on now. Be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Amen. 
Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Unto the coming of the Lord. He's coming. I, I, I just want to get, serve notice here today and let the devil know that we know he's coming. He, our Lord Jesus is coming back for his church, and he's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. What does that mean? That is sincere. People that are sincere and making a vow with God. He's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. He's not coming back for a bride that's sleeping in her gown. He's coming back for a bride that has her, her lamps full of oil. Amen. Be patient. Because the latter rain. But the, the enemy would like to convince us that this latter rain doesn't belong to us. He's wanting to intercept it. How can the devil intercept the rain? He can't any more than the government can't. The government's not going to put a big funnel over your house and say, okay, it can't fall on your roof. See, that's what the devil does. God creates impossible impossibilities where the devil can't take it. And even though there are times when we have to pay a penalty for the things that God has given to us, even in in the Bible, they were persecuted for his name's sake. There was penalties that took place. Peter and, and Stephen was stoned and all of that. There are penalties, but that didn't cause them to lose their trust and their faith in God because they knew, they knew that there was something more to this than just life itself. And so they trusted in God. And here we are. Now here we are. We're living in the last days. Trust me, church. We're living in the last days. I have never seen it as clearly as I'm seeing it now that we are in revelations now. You think, you think it's, there's turmoil now. You just wait. I believe some things are going to happen, and with that is going to bring the opportunity for the church to show up and say, okay, God, I'm coming to you. I don't know why all this is happening. We're feeling like we are in bondage, but God is showing us, you make a vow with me. I will come, and I will give you, if you are sincere, I will give you your victory, and when I give you your victory, it's going to come because the latter rain, because the latter rain, and don't let the devil tell you that that rain don't belong to you because it belongs to every one of us and in that rain has the power to overcome the enemy of our soul and it has the power to bring to naught nations and kingdoms will go to their knees and you will see every knee is going to bow and every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because there's power in the name of Jesus and this latter rain that's going to come is going to come through the people of God that will rise up as a militant people that are having faith and trust in God unlike anyone. It's not going to come through religion. It's not going to come just because we attend church. It's going to come to those that make a vow with God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Latter rain. The enemy would like to convince you that the rain doesn't belong to you. That's the Spirit of God, though. It belongs to all of us. 
Amen. 2 Kings 6, 8 says this, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with the servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. That's exactly what the enemy was doing, saying, Look, these people are traveling this road. They're traveling this road over and over and over again. And the man of God, in the ninth verse said, sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou passed not such and such a place, for thither is the Syrians are come down. What he is saying is, we travel this road every day. We travel this road every day. We travel this road every day. And Syria has found out that the Pentecostals of Phoenix travel this road every day. And so now, now the devil says, I know where I can get them. They're going down the same road. They're doing the same thing. They're living their traditional uh, Pentecostal And they just keep doing the same thing over. It's more of a show than it is anything. So why don't we just go ahead and put the enemy on that road because we know they're going to come down that road. Then it says in the ninth verse, And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, You tell them that they shouldn't pass that way. Because if they pass that way, the Syrians are, the Syrians are come down. And the enemy would, would come and try to obstruct the way. But guess what? The king kept saying, and at my conclusion, the king kept saying, who's telling them about where we have set our ambush? Well, don't you know God has always had the God, the man of God, that is a mouthpiece to warn the people. And that's why we don't go down the road all the other religious groups are going down. That's, that's why we teach something that's completely different than just the, the mainstream religious views of Christianity. Why? Because we're teaching the Bible. While others are accommodating the people, we're accommodating God. While they're trying to win the approval of the congregation, we're trying to win the approval of the Lord. And so our ear is not to the ear of just what the world is saying church should be. Our ear is to the voice of God. And God is still speaking to the church. And in this latter rain experience, oh, I am talking to somebody. In this latter rain experience, he's getting ready to show us some things because we are going to fulfill the plan of God. And now the enemy is saying, why is it I can't get them? Where are they at? Where are they going? Why do they always change their strategy? I'll tell you why. Because we're listening to the voice of God. And God is telling us we can't keep doing it that way if we want to be saved. We can't keep going down that road if we want to be clear from the enemy. we got to keep our faith and our trust in God and listen to the voice of the Lord at every hand. Because I believe God will make a way where there is no, where there is no way. Amen. Amen. Let's say praise the Lord. Come on, Sister Hosanna. Sing pretty. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's all stand.
If you feel comfortable tonight, I'm going to open these altars for a little season and time of prayer. If you want to step out from where you are and come down, take a little time and visit with the Lord. Vow a vow. Be sincere. Say, here I am, Lord. Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Mighty God, you're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy. Trusting in you, Lord. Trusting in you, Lord. Trusting in you, Lord. I'm trusting in you, Lord. I'm trusting. Jesus, mighty God, you are worthy. You're worthy, Lord. You're worthy, Lord. You're worthy, Lord. 